Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Hope your day's going well. So glad that we're going to have this time together. I'm looking forward to this all day. Ever since I got up, I've been thinking about the people I get to be with, and I uh, we're here at the end of a very, very long week. I don't know how you have held up throughout the week. I know it's been um, quite busy going on and what's going on in the world, and I don't know if you and staying up late and reading, watching TV, or keeping your nose in God's Word, which is uh, what I've been trying to do more than anything this week. Uh, and I've been praying for uh, revival. I think it's a prayer that I, I just want to start focusing on more and more. And maybe the world goes through some more persecution in the, in the decade ahead, and that would be a great invitation for us to... Uh, take our faith to the next level and pray for revival. Um, always a good thing when we stand up for Christ. So uh, I want to start today with my friend Alex McFarland. He's a, a regular guest on the show. He's an apologist, an author, an evangelist, and a religion and culture expert. He's joining us today. Alex, welcome. Well, it's good to be with you. Can you can you guys hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks for having me on. I know... Uh, Hey, man, you're a man of grace because a couple of weeks ago I was on a plane and I was supposed to be on Faith Radio with my friend Bill Arnold, and I bailed out on you. I was flying, and I apologize. That's okay. So, Alex, I'm just curious. It's been a busy week here in the United States of America. What what do you think about us praying for revival like never before? Uh, I think it's time. I mean, we definitely need it. You know, the the election uh, notwithstanding, I mean, it's always the right time to turn back to the Lord. And and Bill, I've been reading Psalm 71 a lot this week. Psalm 71, 16 says, I will go on in the strength of the Lord. Mm. And, you know, regardless of, of the political persuasions of people, I mean, let me let me say to everybody who's a Christian, there's a whole lot more that unites us than divides us. And Bill, you might imagine, I've got a lot of people that I were hoping would win. Some did, some didn't. But listen, I am so glad, Bill, that King Jesus is never up for (laughs) re-election. That's so true. From everlasting to everlasting, Christ is the Lord. And we, we always rejoice in that, don't we? Yeah, and we would say that every day of the week uh, over the last, you know, since I've been alive. We would say that every day. We would say God is king, and he's not uh, ever leaving the throne. And I was thinking about uh, Satan's interest. uh, It's probably, his interest is probably never any particular topic, and politics would be a topic. I think Satan would be most interested in thinking what can divide and cause people to hate and not love. Mm. Well, well, yeah, because, you know, on the one hand, those of us that are conservative, and I, I mean, I would consider myself conservative, um, you know, we care about a lot of issues, moral issues, certainly the issue of abortion, which is huge, and, and just really morality to 
hold the culture in check so that we don't just digress into the anarchy that we saw all through the summer of 2020. But um, then we've got people that are less conservative that are Christians, and they're like, yeah, but what about welfare, and what about caring for the the, the needy and the indigent? And, you know, it, heaven forbid that over two positions of trying to do good, there's morality and order, let's call that law, and then there's there's grace and charity and philanthropy, and 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 let's call that you know, well grace. Grace is wonderful. Morals and law and order that's wonderful too. Heaven forbid that the body of Christ be irrevocably divided over two equally good and equally biblical things. Hmm. I would, you know I, when you make mention of caring for people, and I, I know is that a a role that the government should play um, in part, or is it something the church should be doing, or both? Uh, I really think, I mean, if, if we want to talk about the spirit of our founders, and frankly, the spirit of America up until the, you know, really up until about World War II, it was most certainly viewed that the the role of government was not to be a charitable institution. In fact, you know, very famously, um, Davy. Crockett lost an election because he wanted to implement uh, basically a, a type of a welfare program because it was viewed that, you know, it really in this order, individuals look out for themselves, families look out for individuals, and then the church administers charity to people. Uh, and look, it, it's clear, I mean, there are people with a vested interest in masses of people being on the government dole. Uh, Bill, there was, a, there was a Scottish lawyer in the 1700s. His name was Alexander Teitler, uh, T-Y-T-L-E-R. And he was a Christian, and he was a, a theologian. He was an attorney. And back then, many, many attorneys were theologians and historians. But Teitler took a great interest in the emergence of America, the burgeoning young, young country. And he, he famously said that a democracy cannot exist forever as a permanent form of government uh, because the minute that people figure out that they can appropriate for themselves funds or largesse from the public till, they will always reelect the officials that will keep those funds and those entitlements and those monies coming. And he said that uh, the, the world's great civilizations only last about 200 years because people, if they figure out that they can get their hand in the government revenues, that's the kind of people they'll elect. And I think if he were alive today, he would see that his um, his observation was pretty prophetic, really. Mm-hmm. Alex, is there a, a balanced understanding we can draw from this season of politics that we've been in? Well, I, I think so. And, and let me say this. How, how much time before we go to a break? We have four Bill? minutes. Well, well, okay, check this out. I was reading Psalm 71, and, and look, you know, I voted for the president, and uh, I, you know, have kind of been on the faith board and on the inside of a lot of things, and I, I am glad that he appointed pro-life justices. And, uh, you know, um, I, I really 
I wish the president would have a second term, but that doesn't look very likely at this point. And two things I would say, you know, Psalm 71, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. A lot of my friends have said, oh, you know, well, what about religious freedom? And Kamala Harris wants to put a, you know, a whole department of protection of LGBTQ trans rights and this might in you know impinge on our religious freedom. Well, I'm sad to say the majority of evangelicals in America, if if it were illegal to share the gospel with an individual, that wouldn't affect most Christians in the least. Mm. You know, why why suddenly talk about religious freedom when ninety percent of Christians will never witness to another soul anyway? Wow. Isn't that, I mean, really. But uh, that's really, uh, really sobering, Alex. I have to stop and pause and think, wow, that's, I, I don't like hearing that. Yeah, I, I mean, to, now, you're, you're on the radio. Faith Radio is doing a masterful job of, of contributing to the Great Commission. And many people are, you know, uh, Billy Graham and Samaritan's Purse. But, I mean, think about it for the supposedly 130 million plus adult evangelicals, if it became illegal to share the gospel in America, that would not impact their walk and witness one bit. Yeah. And that's a sad thing worth praying for a Holy Spirit revival over. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been focusing uh, quite a bit uh, on Psalms because I've been trying to be very faithful and reading Psalms uh, every day this last year. And, you know, Psalm 112 has been really strong in my heart. Starting in verse 6, it says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken, and they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Mm, That's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, and let me encourage people to pray. Um, this election is not over. Um, might look like it, but it, but it's really not. Uh, I did, Bill. I I have talked with two different congressmen this week. There is very very credible evidence of voter fraud, uh, but let's not. Yeah, I mean, we certainly can't figure that out in the context of this show. But let me give a verse out of Psalm seventy-one. Psalm seventy-one seven says, I am as a wonder unto many, but, Lord, you are my strong refuge. Now, the word wonder, most commentaries say, well, you know, so an object of ridicule or mocking. You know, we, we're Christians, and we believe in marriage and morality, and we believe in Jesus. And so the world mocks. But people have asked me, you know, why are the, the, the progressive left, why do they hate the evangelicals? And Hillary Clinton said, we're deplorable. Psalm 71.7, the word translated wonder, is the word portent, P-O-R-T-E-N-T. Now, the word portent means something that predicts something else. Now, here's my point. If you see clouds in the sky, that portends rain. If you see oil on the driveway, that might portend a trip to get the car worked on. Why? Is the church a wonder or a portent? Because 
If you talk about God, that portends accountability. If you talk about the sanctity of life, that portends the prohibition against murder. If you talk about marriages between a man and a woman, that portends that deviations from that is sin. And the reason we're embroiled in an intense spiritual warfare is because, quite literally, this is about righteousness versus sin, light versus dark. And the church is just intolerable to many who have committed their lives to the opposite message. Mm-hmm. Alex, I need to take a short break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can head over to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex and his uh, writing and his blogging and his speaking and all the things he's doing, which are many. Be right back. back with Dr. Alex McFarland. And Alex, I, during the break, I opened up Matthew 11 because it reminded me of the passage where uh, John is in prison and, you know, hearing about the deeds of Christ and sent words by his disciples and to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And of course, Jesus's answer is just amazing. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And being offended by God seems uh, for many people on their faith journey to be something that they do have to overcome, don't they? Because the gospel uh, to a person who's just hearing about it can sound very offensive. Yeah, yeah. And and we have to understand that, you know, people... Um, we have to be patient with people that maybe the Holy Spirit is beginning to work on them and open their eyes, but also, you know, to be mocked and made fun of is sometimes just part of the, that's an occupational hazard for the disciple, isn't it? I mm-hmm. mean, Oh yes. Some of the, the hard questions, you know, come on, do you really believe Genesis and that God created in six days and rested on the seventh? Well, yeah, we do. Uh, do you really believe Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? Well, yeah, we do. And so, um, Bill, hey, let me just say a word to your wonderful listeners. Um, uh, I've been to a lot of universities to speak or be on a panel, and I mean, I've been laughed at, had the middle finger thrown at me and whatever. Trust me, it won't kill you. You'll (laughs) you'll survive. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You know, just stick with God, lovingly share His Word, and God will have your back, I promise you. Yeah, that is uh, so true. And we should expect persecution. We should anticipate it and be prepared for it and not be surprised when it happens. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as much as I love life, um, I like what Chuck Swindoll said. There was a book years ago. Do you, do you remember this Chuck Swindoll book called Rise and Shine? Did you ever have that, Bill? Um, I do remember that book, yes. It was a great book. And... um it's kind of a, a devotional book, but he said, um, don't get too comfortable here. You're not home yet. For the Christian, our home is in heaven. Now listen to this. Swindoll said, the 
for the Christian, life is a journey across raw pagan soil. And that really is true. I mean, I love life. I love America. I want this country to prosper and do well. But the struggles, the disappointments, the times of agonizing and prayer, that's just part of the journey because, you know, this world isn't our home. We're citizens of the kingdom, servants of the king. And we are to be salt and light and love and grace and truth to all those we meet along this journey but First John two fifteen through 17 says this world is in the process of passing away. But praise God, we're headed to a kingdom that is forever. Alex, when you go to universities and colleges and you speak and you get a chance to interact with students, did it not seem at one point that the universities and colleges were the place where there was a, a complete open marketplace of ideas that got shared and discussed and 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 talked about and is it is that are those days gone well yeah to a large degree you know what what's a danger uh for our country at this time is um i I mean i i really think it's what we used to in business call groupthink you know in groupthink imagine you're on a committee and you've got a dozen people and you've got to come up with a, a plan or a you know uh, some product, whatever. Well, groupthink is when the majority or the dominant persons set forth an idea, and there are around the table voices of dissent, but nobody's bold enough to say that. Everybody's afraid to go against the conventional wisdom. And and I would definitely say absolutely that American academics uh, is in the process of of widespread groupthink. Um, that's why – I don't know if you saw this, Bill, but uh, on Monday afternoon, November 2nd, 4.50 no, – 4.37 p.m. this Monday, the president uh, made an executive order of something called the 1776 Commission in which he said um, our students are being coached to hate America and to believe that our founders were um, villains, not heroes, America is bad. And the 1776 Commission, the president said, um, citizens and young people are, you know, America is being vilified, and we have to teach that America is a good place, and America is where we live, and we should care about this country. Now, to your question, colleges used to be a place of, you know, ideas. And by the way, university means a plurality of verses or mm. ideas. Most colleges now, if if they were honest, would call themselves a monoversity because uh, <laughs> you can't believe in Christianity. You can't believe in human biology. You definitely can't believe in American sovereignty. Um, college has just become this politically correct narrative, and if you – go against that, you can be ostracized, at best flunk an assignment, maybe flunk a class, or maybe even be asked to to leave. Um, And so many schools are just hyper, hyper liberal, globalist, revisionist. I could name a lot of philosophies, but it's come about relatively quickly, I would say just in the last 30 to 35 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Alex, uh, 
a, a listener who really likes you said that it was really a wake-up call, what you said about uh, that maybe 90% may not share their faith. And he kind of felt like it was a little bit of tough love and that the truth hurts. But what a what a wake-up revelation, he said, that we should take to yeah. heart. And he goes, and I will. And that's why I, I love this guy, talking about you. Oh, praise God. Well, you know what? Um, the, the Billy Graham ministry, if, if you reach out to the Billy Graham ministry, they will send you some gospel booklets. Uh, Billy Graham wrote uh, this wonderful little booklet. It's in many languages called Steps to Peace with God. And goodness, you could give those out. And then as you feel more and more confident, you could sit down and say, hey, could you read this through with me? And let me encourage people, um, equip yourself. You know, Bill Bright, the, the great Bill Bright, wrote a book years ago. He's he's long since gone to be with the Lord. But Bill Bright wrote a book called Witnessing Without Fear. And he tells the story of how he was so timid. He was a uh, uh, Bill, do you, do you remember what Bill Bright's occupation was before he started Campus Crusade? No, I, I didn't. I don't know. What is it? He was a candy maker. Oh, wow. Bill Bill Bright, I think, had a candy store and made candy, and he was so timid and shy. <laughs> and yet, of course, he, um, you know, he wrote a little booklet called "The Four Spiritual Laws." Yeah. He pretty much, you know, launched Josh McDowell, and at one time, Campus Crusade was like the biggest missionary force on the planet. But my point being, folks, equip yourself. Now, read Bill Bright's book, Witnessing Without Fear. Get some Billy Graham gospel booklets and, you know, memorize one, one easy verse. If you want to be a witness is John six forty. I mean, this is one verse. Jesus said, whoever sees the Son, S-O-N, whoever sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life, and I will raise you up at the last day. So I've talked to people through this. I've said, okay, to see Jesus, do you understand he is the Son of God? Do you understand he died on the cross and rose from the dead? And people will say, okay, sure, I get it. And do you realize he did that for you? And it says, if you will believe on him, uh, and they'll say, okay, Jesus says you will have everlasting life. Now, can Jesus lie? And most people say, no, he wouldn't lie to me. So Here's Jesus saying, if you'll comprehend that you need forgiveness and Christ died and rose again to provide it, and you'll believe on his name, he will give you everlasting life. Now, that's a short one-verse approach. I love that. Romans 6.23. I want to encourage people to memorize um, these verses and have a New Testament where you can handily navigate. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. Yeah. Romans six twenty three, sin separates us from God. Yeah. Romans five eight, God gave His Son, and Romans ten thirteen, call on the Lord. So, folks, you can be a witness, yeah. and it's not that hard to learn. Such great wisdom, Alex. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Hey, thank you. God bless you, Bill. Look forward to being you. with you again. Yep, Alex McFarland's been my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. I think it was Mother Teresa that said, loneliness and the feeling of being uncared for and unwanted are the greatest poverty. Loneliness is one of the greatest problems facing humanity. And I'm thinking of uh, so many people who feel so uncared for, disenfranchised. And Richard Barr, my guest uh, coming on the program, is uh, has delivered over 20,000 pairs of socks to his friends on the streets as a way of meeting people who are homeless, learning names, establishing friendships and new relationships. He spends his evenings in homeless shelters and under bridges and in camps. He connects and tries to encourage and help meet the basic needs of the least of these. And he uh, also volunteers as a chaplain at local homeless shelters. And I think in around 2013, he co-founded a a ministry with his wife, uh, Carla, called Threshold to New Life. And the organization's mission is to provide both short-term relief to the homeless as well as to give assistance to those who are at risk of losing their house and trying to reduce homelessness. And um, he's a man on the street. And when I say that, I really do mean it because he's out on the streets all the time. And as we come closer and closer to Thanksgiving, I think our minds always think to ways in which we can improve uh, our ability to serve the needy and the people who are maybe you see every day on the street corner with a sign. Um, and what do you do when you encounter those people? When people uh, come up to you on the street, what do you do? It's always a question a lot of people have, and they never know what the right answer is. But uh, Richard Barr is my guest. Uh, Richard, welcome. Thanks for having me back again, Bill. Man, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. What is that? What is the answer to that question? <laughs> what is the right thing to do? Well, uh, I think you have actually changed some of your behaviors, as you've told me about yes, what I you have. do when you and yeah, when you encounter somebody. And um, I think it's a very personal question because not everybody has the same degree of comfort. But yes. um, I think also keep in mind that. Um, So many people that live in the homeless community uh, have shared with me about how um, it's so difficult to spend your entire day with people trying not to look at you. Yeah. And you think about that glance that we Mm. give when we see somebody else, you know, the barista at Starbucks or whatever it might be. And it's kind of the most basic sense of humanity, and yet we're unwilling to give that. And the reason we're not willing to give that is because we think that there's going to be some sort of exchange of goods or services that go along with that. And so um, one of the things that we've talked about on the program before is, is is if you're somebody that maybe encounters people in the homeless community on some regular basis, that to think in advance and kind of have a plan, like, so what would I do or what would I say or how would I greet them? And kind of think about that ahead of time so that you're prepared and not caught off guard. And that makes a big difference. I think when we had conversations in the past, it was a strong uh, motivator for me to be reminded that there's that isolation, there's that disconnect from society, there's that feeling that people have that they're they're on the fringe of society and people are reluctant to make eye contact. So the minute you show them eye contact and give them a smile, uh, you you're validating their humanity. And f- for many, that that their their heart just kind of feels alive again. Yeah, it does indeed. And um, and the next level is actually to exchange names with people, you know, and to learn people's names. And you mentioned the socks that I give away. I use that as a mechanism oftentimes to be able to 
you know, um, you know, I'll offer my name first. Somebody may not be comfortable exchanging names, but to get to know somebody's name and, you know, I, I encounter so many people in that community. It's, um, it's, it's, it's so difficult to learn the names. I always tell people like, give me three chances. I see you the third time. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to sink in. And so, um, but it's, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, it's like music to your ears, being able to hear your own name and be able to be called by that. Right. So when we talk about this, Richard, there's, there's elements of uh, anxiety for people to encounter someone who might appear scary to them. You know, for guys like you and I who are, you know, trained Navy SEALs, we can do this, right? Absolutely, yeah. Handstands <laughs> and the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and of course we're not trained Navy SEALs. But you know what I'm saying? No. There there might be, uh, you know, some women that might go, this person frightens me, and how can I connect safely? Yeah, and, you know, I would... <laughs> so there's this there's this difference between kind of getting yourself out of your comfort zone and getting yourself into a danger zone. And right. I think we're all kind of encouraged to kind of press that comfort zone, but not to go into that that danger zone. And, you know, even I, you know, when, when I'm out in the evenings, I mean, there's, there's places that I may not go or may not go alone because it just seems like it might be unwise, you know, to do that. So I think everybody's got that threshold, but, you know, if God places that, you know, it presses on your heart, you know, you might maybe be a person that isn't real comfortable uh, approaching a homeless person and rolling down that window, but you continue to see those same people every day. Well, what could you do to act on that? Could you uh, step into service somewhere to maybe serve that community and maybe do it in such a way that it would be a bit more controlled, like, you know, like the breakfast that we hold in Minneapolis every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's obviously going to be greater safety in numbers if you can be uh, participating in in part of a volunteer group or organization. You know, with uh, the unrest that's been in in my hometown of Minneapolis, your hometown, and you think of the number of uh, carjackings and everything else. I mean, the whole idea of rolling your window down or making your you, making yourself feel a little bit more vulnerable does come at what feels like higher stakes. Yeah, and so again, you know, we we the Holy Spirit um, will prompt us, you know, to act, and so those that conviction. I think comes from the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, again, you know, driving by and seeing people like that and feeling convicted about that, feeling bothered about that, um, there's lots of opportunities. And it doesn't matter what city you're in. You can Google volunteer opportunities or homeless volunteer opportunities, you know, name of your city, and uh, boom. I mean, uh, whatever search engine you're in is going to pop up all sorts of different things to be able to do to get engaged in. So it might be just seeing that person on the street corner might just be the way that God works in your heart to decide to get engaged in something that you would be uncomfortable in but not feel unsafe in. Yeah, and your your instinct is, is exactly right on, Richard. I mean, you can start praying right away that the Holy Spirit will lead and, and guide you as to what the next right move is um, and just trust that God will protect you. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to know what the end game is, right? I mean, we right. just... We, we just need to know what the next step is. And so, I mean, the reason I'm talking to you and the reason I've been serving in ministry for the last 14 years is that I went to a Bible study with a friend of mine and decided to go down and show up and help him scoop oatmeal one day. And it destroyed my life. <laughs> yeah, in a good way. <laughs> Tell me about the that. Life that I, in a good way, yeah. I mean, it really began. I mean, I was a believer at that point, and 
Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I had built, you know, kind of my, my comfort zone and my nest around me in terms of my family and, 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 uh, lifestyle and so forth. And, um, that just gave me a whole different perspective on really what mattered and what, what to value. And, um, God began to move me towards sacrificial service. And, And honestly, Bill, if I look back now today, you know, over the last 10 or 12 years or so, the the Richard Barr from 10 years ago would look at the Richard Barr today and say, well, that's not possible. Like, that's crazy. Like, like I won't be doing that. But but God has been so faithful that he's just kind of nudged me through this. And all of a sudden I look back and I go, wow, we're, we got a lot of things going on here. Yeah. Give, <laughs> give me an example of something that Richard Barr of today uh, probably wouldn't have thought he would have done 10 years ago. Um. Uh, written, you know, I wrote, I, you know, I wrote a couple of books and we've talked about those yep. in previous programs. Yep. I mean, I, I, I did a lot of writing in my profession, but I didn't, I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't see myself as somebody that would write books. And again, you know, God stirred that up in my heart where he really kind of provided the need for me to be able to reach out and, and talk about some things that mattered to me. And um, yeah, 10 years ago, if somebody said, you know, you'll have written a couple of books, you know, 10 years from now, I'd, I, I would have bet against that. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, Richard's uh, two books, one is called Amazed, uh, Why the Humanity of Jesus Matters, and the other one is called Those People, the True Character of the Homeless. And both are, are wonderful books. Uh, I'd love to hear a story or two or three because your encounters are so many. And um, I've said before, uh, I'm amazed when Thanksgiving rolls around that your house is full of people who uh, have no nowhere to be and they live on the street. Yeah, full might be an overstatement, but we do indeed uh, invite people that you know that I know that I have relationships with that live in the homeless community to the house here for the holidays. Now this year, with the pandemic, is a very different year. We're actually not. We're going to be doing some different things during the holidays, but not hosting people. Not even a lot of our own family in our house. But um, but we have done that in the past, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about a fellow that I know right now. Um, he stays in one of the big homeless shelters in Minneapolis. I've met him in a couple of different encounters. He comes to our regular breakfast now and he's, he has a, um, uh, a lady friend. It's he, he first called her his wife. And then when I asked him about that, he, he said they, they aren't legally married, but been in a, I think 19 year relationship. And they're, they look young to me. Um, maybe 40-ish, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And she's hearing impaired. And she's a very sweet woman. And I've met her before, too. And um, and, uh, so the the guy told me that she'd had a stroke and that the housing that they had precipitated this downfall and things. That's why I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. They had housing, lost the housing now. And she's been in a series of, um, like, rehabilitation centers to rehabilitate from the stroke. And it's not going very well. And... Anyway, long story short, he doesn't know where she's at right now, and he doesn't oh have legal standing to be able to find that out. And I thought I'd be crawling out of my skin if I didn't know where this person, this important person in my life was, but yet he has no way to do that. He's living in a homeless shelter. He's working two jobs, trying to put together enough money to be able to – what he wants to do is rent an apartment, at least a one-bedroom apartment, so she could stay there, and then he could take care of her. Um, but this is a real deal. I mean, I'll see this guy on Sunday. You wow. Know? 
You know, and uh, sometimes I th- people might think that if you're in a homeless shelter, you're not employed, but that's not the case, is it? Uh, not always the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not always the case. Um, yeah, you might be surprised at some of the stories, and, you know, that's what we talk about in the Those People book is, you know, I think there's about a couple of dozen people that I found to be remarkable, their stories, and yet they live in the homeless community. And that was what I wanted to share was just to help kind of break that paradigm that, um, you know, we think homeless people are, you know, mentally ill, um, addicts, uh, unemployed. Mm -hmm. We judge them and we think they're lazy. Um, And um, some people might fit that mold, but some people that live in my suburb might also fit that mold as well, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'd love to hear another story or two. I'm going to take a little break. Richard Barr is my guest. If you have a question because you're not certain what to do in situations when you're seeing somebody on the street or you're encountering someone who's homeless and how you can best serve that person uh, and you have a question specifically, let me know what it is and I'll ask Richard on your behalf. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Two four, eight four. I'm back with Richard Barr. He got called in his heart to start serving the homeless and disenfranchised. And he uh, decided to start suiting up and showing up. And that's step one when it comes to being available for service. And, uh, you know, as I'm thinking about the Minnesota winters, which are just around the corner, and think of people who are homeless. Richard, what is it like when you're encountering people that you you know and you go, they have nowhere to stay? And it's winter. Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact... um you know, Bill, there was a there was a listener of yours in our market here in the Twin Cities that texted you, I think, at a show, and I one of the shows that I was on earlier. And he and I've been in a conversation on and off for over a year. Well, he actually is looking to get a tent right now. He wants to stay outside. Um, he's got some real mental health struggles. Um, gets really almost like panic attacks by mm-hmm. being inside in a shelter. And so he's looking for that as a remedy. And I'm working with him right now to try to find maybe a place in another county other than uh, the big major county that we're in here where the shelters are real large. So, um, I, I yeah, so, it's no fun in games. Yeah, I so appreciate you reminding me of that. Just for my listeners, so you'll know, a person who was homeless heard a previous interview I did with Richard and and sent me a text message and just said, I'm I'm homeless. Would Richard ever talk to me? And lo and behold, you guys have been in contact for a year now, and you're helping him try to transition into something that would work for him. So you uh, you take what you do seriously, Richard. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, um, I, I was thinking about, you know, this season that we're coming in, if we could talk about that, Bill, a little bit. And, um, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up, right? Giving thanks. And so it seems like we spend a lot of time sitting around with our own family, looking at each other, going, boy, aren't we blessed and don't we have a lot to give thanks for? And, um, but I don't know where the giving part is in that. Like we should be giving thanks. Right. And, um, 
I think that true giving or serving, I think it always costs us something. You know, I, oh, mean, I agree. You know, you think about the the you know the widow, uh, you know, giving at the temple, you know, and the and the, you know the other guy, you know, he gives. Jesus says, you know, who gave more? She gave two pennies, and he said she gave the most because she gave everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's when it comes to giving and serving. I think particularly, I think it it. I mean, it's kind of a hard truth, but I think the truth is is that it, it costs us something. I mean. It, the volunteers that we have that serve at our, our breakfast that we do every day, um, I mean, they show up at that shelter at 4.30 in the morning. That's that's costing something, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, not many people, not normal humans get up <laughs> and go no, anywhere. Don't. No, at that time of the day. But yet, Bill, we've got over 40 people that do that on a weekly basis. And, Richard, the stakes are higher to serve that community because— uh, do they all show up wearing masks? I mean, the people who are homeless. I mean, what what is that like? Yeah, and actually, you know, we've done a really nice job, and we serve out of a Salvation Army shelter, and they've been terrific partners with us. I mean, we transitioned pretty quickly back in March to packing kits of breakfasts and bags and passing them out doors, and and then we were able to move back inside once we filed the plan with them. And so we, you know, we're masked up, gloved up social distance we've yeah. got you know partitions up so i mean the, our servers are safe um we require the guests to wear masks just like in our state you're required to when you're in a restaurant you know until you get to your table and and everybody's very compliant we provide masks to the guests mm-hmm. you know if they don't have one so we're we're, we're trying to do everything the, you know the way it's prescribed yeah and then if a family wanted to try to participate in some activity, I know I've, I've had a friend ask me in the past, you know, our, my family would really like to do something to serve. Um, can families uh, easily plug into some activity that you can recommend? Yeah, so I know that um, a lot of the th- thoughts, our thoughts turn to the homeless at um, this time of the year, you know, November, December. Yeah. And... Um, the homeless shelters usually get bombarded by requests for people that want to show up and, um, you know, you know, you'll hear people say, "Oh, I want to serve a serve a soup kitchen at Christmas or something like that." Which I, I don't know what a soup kitchen is exactly, but that's what I've referred <laughs> to as anyway. I've never seen a serve soup, but, um, but uh, yeah. So you know, there's Salvation Army sites in every major city really right. and that's a great place to start catholic charities is another rather large one but every city has those sites where they care for kind of the down and out and disenfranchised and, and people that have significant needs and i would encourage people to re- reach out sooner than later because uh, you know they get tapped on capacity there's only so many volunteers that they can handle and um we see it in our ministries too we we we'll get a rush of people around the holidays and um and then, you know, a lot of them disappear. I, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I don't know if they think, well, they've, they've done their thing and, um, you know, check the box. But at the same time, so that's that's the that's the Pharisee in me, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thinking that. But at the same time, I think, you know what, hey, you know, there was the first time I showed up, too. Yeah. There was the first time I showed up, too. So so I have to I have to counter that thinking with remembering that about myself. Yeah, that's a, a good way of, of uh, reminding people that there's always that first time. Might be super uncomfortable, but at least uh, if you give it a, a try, you can find out 
pretty quickly if God's putting that on your heart to return. I mean, your your first time was uh, was kind of a big experience for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But and you know, Bill, there's a lot of vulnerable populations. I mean, you and I spend a lot of time talking about the homeless because that's where my that's where God has drawn me. That's where my heart is. But you know, there are nursing homes. There are um, sh- there are there are uh, centers for um, you know, battered women. There's, you know, I mean, you name it. There's all sorts of things. There's group homes for people that, um, you know, are mentally challenged. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different things like that. And so I, I think sometimes it takes again just that first step to step into something to see if that's really where God would lead you to be. And you'll know. You know, you'll know. Mm-hmm. I know, Richard. Your book has got some great stories in it. Do you have a one? any particular character that you sort of came across that really, really uh, created a wonderful story that you can share? It's obviously who's given you permission to do so. Yeah. So um, there's, there's, yeah. So there's one guy and actually he's still in, uh, he's in a hotel right now. Minneapolis opened up a number of hotels for the homeless, for people that were at risk um, based on age health conditions. And so this fellow is just staying in one of those hotels. And so um, I visited her calling him once a week and he's, um, he would be 73 mm-hmm. right now. And it's a longer story, but the short story is, is that he's living in a homeless shelter because he had, he had two children um, kind of later in life. So one is actually a freshman in college right now. The other one is a junior. No, he's a senior this year in high school and uh, issues with the mom and her having a cat and all sorts of different (laughs) things. But anyway, so he decided that the way that they were going to make it was that if he lived in a homeless shelter, he could give her basically his entire social security check so that they could live. And this is a guy that used to work in the social service community Mm. in the twin cities. And he's a, he's a, um, he's, uh, he immigrated from a Northern African nation uh, came here as a 17-year-old. He got a um, Bachelor of Arts from a local um, local private college. He's got an MBA from the. Or he's got an M, He's got a master's from the University of Minnesota. I mean, he's one of the smartest guys I know, and a very charitable and very kind guy. And I just think to myself, as a father, would I be willing to do that? And I to think that I'm caring for my family. You can argue whether that's the right choice or not, but. You know, as a father, would I be willing to do that to care for my kids? And I don't know that I like the answer to my own question. I, you know, <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, that's a sacrifice. Um, pretty interesting story. And um, I'm I'm inspired to hear that uh, there are guys like that making those kinds of choices. Yeah, he's a terrific guy and super interesting. I mean, we just have great, robust conversations. Loves to talk about politics. I hate talking about politics. Yeah, me too. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about I'll talk about politics with him just because I know he enjoys it. You know. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate uh, your ministry um, and your uh, couple of books. The best way to get those would be maybe to head over to your website, richardbar.com. dot com. Yeah, and actually, you know, that the easiest thing to remember, I was thinking about this, Bill, is that, you know, um, the Those People book has a website. So if, if people forget my name, but they remember the conversation and they want to check it out, they can go to thosepeoplebook.org 
And that actually kind of cross-links to everything else. They can email me on the bottom of the page, which, by the way, I have to say thank you, Bill, for your ministry and your uh, your program in this market. You don't know this, but you've had three listeners that have become regular volunteers at the breakfast ministry in Minneapolis, and one of those has brought three other people. So we have six people there because of listening to me. Well, not because of me, yeah. because of your program and you putting me on. That's terrific, uh, because when when the alarm clock goes off at 3.30, so you can get there to serve at 4.30, that's not early. That's middle-of-the-night stuff. Yeah, and I keep standing on Curry Avenue looking for Bill Arnold, and I I haven't, not one time have I seen you show yeah, up yet. Yeah, that's too bad. We've run out of time, Richard. Um <laughs> <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for doing the show and blessings on your ministry and all that you do. Uh, I so appreciate what you do and, and your ministry. So thank you. Yeah, God bless you, Bill. Okay. Thank you very much for having me on. God bless you. Richard Barr has been my guest. You can head over to richardbarr.com um, or those people. All right, we'll take a little break. That's hour one. We've got a great hour two coming up. Kim Katola is going to join me. We're going to learn about the most recent pro-life news and then Dr. Tim Muehlhoff will be joining me. That's all I had an hour or two. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.